Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini-episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple-shot K-Cup with my guest, Anish Raman. So beyond the donuts that you bought to bribe your way into the campaign office on weekends, Anish, how did you get that first gig working for Senator Biden? And what advice do you have to offer our young listeners about how they can get their foot in the door of a new campaign? The things that, that I think about at LinkedIn all the time, networks and skills. So to answer your your second question first, how did I get that job? A person named Ricky Seidman. So Ricky had been a fellow at the Institute of Politics when I was an undergrad at Harvard. We had kind of bonded and she had become a mentor by that point and someone I was routinely going to for career advice. And then as luck would have it, um, paid intern on the Obama campaign, Ricky Seidman gets named the communications director for whoever was going to be the vice presidential nominee. And suddenly everything changed for me because now I had a personal advocate trying to help me land a job. So for the listeners, I would say networking is not just something that happens. It's something that you should be really deliberate about starting now. And I don't mean that in a stress-inducing way. I mean that in a a sort of agency-inducing way. Like, be deliberate. Track the people that you knew at college who were professors that you felt like really got you and got your skills. As you're going into new jobs, keep in touch with your peers. Know where they go develop mentors. And you're going to have mentors of two kinds. You're going to have mentors that you're going to go to just for advice. And they're going to be great at giving you advice, but they're not going to do anything other than give you advice. They're not going to call someone to get you a job. They're not going to create opportunities for you at the place they work. But that's okay. Those are folks you're going to for advice. But then you're also going to have what I would call advocates, people that are going to give you advice, but also are going to really go to bat for you. And, and so you want to track those folks. You want to track the peers and what are they doing and what's interesting and how do you compare notes with them. But across my career, my network has always served me well. And my network is not at all the same now as it was when I was coming out of college. And so that's the undercurrent of it all. And the change, the persistent change we're talking about, you've got to keep evolving your network as your career interests evolve and as the world around you evolves. So be really deliberate about building and, and nurturing your network. Because for me, that's what unlocks that. 
Now, the second part is skills. As you were saying at the beginning, explanatory storytelling. You didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing until this job at LinkedIn where people started telling me that's what I did. And then I said, oh, actually, if I go back and look at everything, it was that. And transitioning to speech writing was the first time I was really forced to think about skill set. So until then, job, title, years in job and title. Bangkok correspondent, to Middle East correspondent, to White House correspondent. Now I can figure out what to do with what I did in this new world of politics in a campaign. Now, part of those jobs are communications jobs where you're dealing with the press. And I didn't want to deal with the press because like a tortured breakup, I had just left media, aggrieved about media. And so I didn't want to deal with journalists. Well, what does that leave you? Speech writing. Okay, what's speech writing? It's writing. That's not something I, I had done naturally because I had been a talker. That's what you are when you're an on-air reporter. But it's still storytelling. It still has the beginning, middle, and end. It's still rallying people towards some awareness or action. And so I started doing it, and I started really liking it. And that then became who I was across the administration and how I got the White House job. I will also say that until the last day of that White House job, I found speech writing to be emotionally crippling. I am someone prone to thinking a lot about stuff, overthinking stuff, sitting in an office, staring at a blank screen, not knowing where to start with a voice that isn't even yours. It's the person you're writing for. That never got easy, but it did get more fun and it got more familial. And over time, I've come to identify myself as a writer in a way I never would have prior to speech writing. But to go back to your question in that moment, it was networks and it was looking at the world through a skills mindset, not a job title mindset. Could you unpack that just a little bit, Anish, and either tie it to, I guess, your second gig within the Obama administration working for Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner as his speechwriter? How you, as somebody who had never really been a speechwriter, managed to both adopt the voice of the person for whom you were writing, but also write about subjects. In the case of the 2009 Great Recession, presumably you knew something about the economy, but you were no expert. So how did you do that? How did you cut through all the jargon and the complexities of what you were writing about to do that job? Were you reading a lot of books? Were you reading speeches? Were you talking to other speechwriters? How did you do it? Yeah, bringing me back. The first thing I will say is it was really, really hard. And I call that out just because I've only been in really, really hard environments and I put myself deliberately in them that I've normalized myself to the fact that things are hard. But I want to call that out because I think that's important for folks to understand starting their career. David Axelrod, who's kind of the messaging guru of the Obama campaign, gave President Obama a plaque after healthcare passed, after Obamacare passed. And it was something he had said during one of these meetings where everyone was just complaining about how difficult it was to get Congress to support this, how difficult it was to land the messaging around why this mattered with the public. And it just says hard things are hard. And I think about that often. So this was hard. And I just concede that. But I will say the sort of superpower that has always come to the rescue for me is curiosity. I have always been incessantly curious. And so that means I am authentically interested in learning more always. So when I showed up at Treasury, I didn't know what a mortgage was. I had been a war reporter. We looked down on people that had to do the mundane things like have a mortgage and deal with the everyday things of life, like a bank account. We were off like living life at its most extreme. I had to learn what a mortgage was. I had to learn 
what a financial crisis routed in securities was, AIG, Lehman, and all of that. And at first, it was really me trying to learn quick, read everything Geithner said, read everything our policy team was doing. So that was part one. You have to really devote yourself to the study of new things. But the other part is you have to be really confident about what you bring to the table if you don't bring expertise on those things. And by that, I mean, even though I knew I didn't know a ton about the economy, I knew a ton about how to explain things because that's what I did in Baghdad. That's what I did in Bangkok. That's what I did in Tehran. That's what I was doing through speeches. And so I felt confident enough to always be the least informed person in the room to raise my hand and say, Hey, can you say that again? And pretend I didn't understand what you just said. And that takes some confidence because often we're all in these environments where we don't want to let anyone know that we don't know what's being talked about. But one of the empowering things about being a speechwriter is I can't do my job unless I understand it. And your job is to help me understand it. And that unlocks for me a way to take my curiosity, marry it with some confidence, and then be able to both learn new things, but contribute old insights. And, and I do think, and I'm really proud of some of the testimony that Geithner gave there. I'll give you one example. At the time, there was this big scandal about people at AIG getting bonuses, even though AIG is what really cascaded the risk to the global markets. And we were talking about how, what his testimony was going to look like as he was going to the Hill. And at first, people said, let's keep it short. It's really complicated and controversial. Less is more. And he, to his credit, really wanted to let people in. He wanted the world to understand what it was like in September, but when the financial, December 2008, when all of this was happening. And so for almost like three or four hours, me, the chief economist for the Treasury Secretary and Treasury Secretary Greitner just sat in a room while he went methodically through what I called the testimony, three days in September. And it goes through all of the different things that policymakers and regulators were wrestling with. And I remember when we delivered that testimony, I forget who, it might have been Elijah Cummings, one of the members of Congress said, and they were all ready to come with their knives out. I mean, this was like a controversy. It was a great moment to lambast what had happened. And Elijah Cummings said, you know, I read your testimony and I don't know that anything could have been done differently because we just let folks in and we explained it in a way that was simple and human. That was a moment where I was like, oh, I do have something really meaningful to contribute. I might not have a PhD in economics, but I can help those who do explain what's happening in a way that can resonate with people. So it was curiosity, but also unlocking that confidence of what I had to contribute. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.